Well, uh, we had felt like a lot of people do, you know, where's our jetpack? You know, we were promised a jetpack. There were a guy landed in the Super Bowl years ago. What's happened? Where is it? It's overdue. Um, but I think where's our jetpack is kind of a fast, funny way to say what happened to that great future we were promised. And that really is a very current thing. Um, it seems to be everywhere in the culture. And, and there seems to be a collective resignation, almost like a shrug, about, yeah, it's going to stink, the future, and we're all just passengers on this crappy bus. And we kind of asked ourselves, why is that? What, when did it change? Because when we were kids, we all imagined the future as being positive. And what made it change? Mm. And can we get back to the other way of thinking? Because it's a better way of thinking. everybody. Welcome back to Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we go back and talk about movies that bomb theatrically and just didn't get any love from the critics. Brad, episode 125, you got to pick this week's show. What did, what did you pick? I did. I picked 2015's, again, we're doing a Walt Disney film here, Tomorrowland. Um, and actually, uh, just full disclosure, someone reached out and said, hey, I really want to talk about this movie with you guys. Can I come on? And I was like, of course. So we have a guest today. He's Sean. Sean, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. Thank you. How are you all? I, I'm so excited. Uh, you had reached out a while ago, and, and we finally got to squeeze this in. And, and you you picked this film. It had it had been on our radar, but it had been really low on the list. <laughs> and when you said, hey, I want to talk about Tomorrowland, we're like, well, we, we got we to gotta push this thing up. Um, but I'm, I'm super excited to talk to you because you have a very specific and unique podcast um, around a particular film uh, and even a franchise that's coming out. Do you want to you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah. So my podcast is called Sivako Road to Avatar. It is a podcast all about James Cameron's Avatar. And we do explore other films in his canon. So we've gone Terminators at some point. I'm sure we'll cover Titanic. But for the most part, it is very Avatar heavy. And uh, surprisingly, there is a lot to talk about. And there is about to be a whole lot more to talk about in the coming months and following years, I imagine. Yeah, uh, I, I got to ask you. So are, are how excited are you for December? I mean, it's it's the first of two films that are coming out. And, and I just, I think read that the, the runtime is like over three hours. Um, are, are you really excited for that? Or do you have some hesitation or do you think it'll live up to, to the hype of the first one? It's such a tough position to be in because I am like every week I'm making like new videos and podcasts and I'm building up my own hype, maybe too much. And I'm going to get to the point where by the time it's released, Will it have met that? And I really hope it does. But if James Cameron's doing it, it's bound to be good. Like that's that's it. The whole saying is don't bet against James Cameron. Okay. All right. That's fair. Well, this is your first time on our show. And what we typically do is we like to do our own little Rorschach test, I guess. 
and, and level set with everybody. So we have some, some random questions. We haven't told you what they are. We're hoping you just go for your gut instinct on these. So be totally open and honest. And I tell everybody there, there is no right or wrong answer. However, Brad and I do deserve the uh, reserve the right to make fun of you if you answer something silly. So that's just, that's how it works. Right. Um, it's the, it's the internet. It's podcasting. Hey, uh, I'm going to start with the first one. So I'm really curious what your answer is going to be since you have a, a podcast about this film, but we'll start here, right? What is your favorite movie of all time? My favorite movie of all time. Yes. Is the lobster. Oh, wow. Uh, by, it's by not Yorgos Avatar. Lachman. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's not Avatar. Avatar is my like most the movie I find the most interesting. Okay. But for a favorite movie, and I, I did a podcast about this like years ago with a friend who had a, a podcast called The Favorite, and I chose The Lobster. And it was like he at the time was like, Why'd you choose this? And it was just because it's one of those films where I'm just obsessed with the world that it created. And it kind of really got me deeply into film on a newer level than I, I ever expected to be interested in it. So it's it was, also like a European black comedy film too. So, you know, it kind of yeah, fits the mold. That's it. And I love like Colin Farrell and like that deadpan humor. It suits me to the, to the T I, I adore anything like that. I, did, now, is this something that you caught theatrically or did you discover it um, once it was kind of released on, on home media? I remember seeing the trailer for it and kind of becoming obsessed with it from that point onwards to the point where I was just counting down days for, for its release. And when I actually got to see it, I was like, yep, this is perfect. This is exactly what I wanted out of the film. And from there, yeah, I kind of always just been able to go back to it and be like, yeah, I'm still having a great time with it. That's amazing. I, I did not expect that answer. I'm so excited about that answer. That's awesome. I'll tell you now, I'm probably like the only person who will ever answer that question. I love that film. I just, yeah, I do too. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised not enough people have seen it. Uh, when it mm. came out, I thought it, it garnered a little bit of reaction, but I'm glad you brought it up, man. I'm glad somebody thinks that that's their favorite film too, because it's it deserves mm. it. So I good. love like the Colin Farrell Independence Renaissance we've got. Like In Bruges yes. is like a fantastic yes. film. Um, so all the independent stuff he's done is is I think people need to definitely search that out. Um, okay, my question: If Hollywood made a movie about your life, who would you like to see play the lead role as you? I'm I'm currently obsessed with uh, Barry Keoghan. Um, I saw, you know, uh, he was in like Killing the Sacred Deer. Yeah. He was mm-hmm. in Batman recently as well and Eternals. Um, but I saw him in uh, that new Martin McDonough film. Uh, I'm going to absolutely butcher the name, which I think it's Banshees of Isherin. And uh, he's so good in that. And I just, the guy's so fantastic of an actor. And yeah, I just think he's got a great humor about him. And I kind of hope someone like that would be able to. You know, if I was going to have a movie, I get to choose. Oh, I have him. Yeah. Do, you, do you think he can capture your essence on film in terms of the character and everything else and yeah. um, the humor and, and everything that you bring? Yeah. And I think he's got, I've, I've always been kind of told that, especially with like podcasting, I have a very like calming presence and kind of laid back. And yeah, I think he can bring that energy to it. Okay. All right. I, I got the next question. I'm, I'm really curious about this one too. So you're, you've created a whole podcast show over a specific film and franchise and specifically um, you're, you're a big fan of James Cameron. So, so my question is 
what TV show, film, comic book, or pop culture franchise are other people obsessed with, but you just don't understand or get the point of? This is a tough one. Yeah. Uh, we don't make them easy around here. <laughs> no, that's that's so interesting. Oh, uh, you know what? I'm gonna admit I'm not the biggest into Star Trek. I'm it's just something where I've got this thing where if I feel like I'm joining into something too late and it's got like hundreds, like thousands of episodes, I just yeah. feel like I can't jump into it because I feel like one of those completionist sort of people who wants to start at the beginning. I don't want to like jump in halfway. And us Star Americans Trek's like the ultimate oh. example of that, isn't it? Like, well, our, like, us Americans call that the Doctor Who conundrum because if to us, it's like <laughs> it's fifty years. It's like you know, however many years old. And I'm like, I can't go in now. I, I can't. I can't. That, that's you a know, good yeah. point. I, so you, I guess from a from a Star Trek franchise perspective, is there any aspect of it that you've dipped your toes in? So like me. I've, I've done a few of the TV series, not a whole lot, like the original, and um, I really like Deep Space Nine, but I've seen all the films. I, I really enjoy the films. Do you do you gravitate to like one aspect of it, or you're just like, no, it's it's too much for me? The only bit that I like, definitely not, so I've seen the J.J. Abrams ones, and they're okay. I don't mind them. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're sort of like the nice middle ground for sci-fi for me, but I've watch star trek enterprise i think it is and i feel like it's the one that people don't really talk about and that's the one i've the only one i've kind of seen i know people will rave about obviously like next generation i think that's that's my dad's one he absolutely adored that one and i just never got into it oh okay <laughs> and he'll probably listen to this and then complain to me, and try <laughs> complain. And me to listen to it. so i do apologize in advance to him hey i'm, I'm i tried to watch it didn't get into it that much i know a lot of people love it but uh, i i totally get where you're coming from so and Brad, Joy, you're, i don't you're wrong about i don't know if, well, go ahead I, I don't know if i know your answer to this question which one the pop culture thing that you just don't get because i have my answer oh what's your answer mine's harry potter um that's my answer too Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand the Harry Potter. Yeah. To me, there's there's they're okay films. There's one really good one in there, but I find the films and and everybody's like, "Oh, the books, but I don't care." It it really feels like eight or nine films of hide and seek. And I I find them quite boring. So See, I I the problem is is that I grew up I'm literally the same age. I was aging up with the films. Oh, so okay. the first film came out nearly on my birthday when I was like 10 or 11. So I was watching them as it was happening, growing up as it was happening. And yeah, like you make a connection like that. It's hard not to always kind of feel that connection. And oddly enough, it kind of, especially with the first couple, it really reminds me of that sort of Christmas wintry feeling as well. Like I, I love that vibe they give off and it does lose that a little bit. It gets very serious, but I think that magic is still there. You know, we're not going to talk about, jk rowling i don't yeah. know yeah, that's that you know that's a whole other conversation I, I get that i mean day. i i think i think that is a film that hits a particular point for a generation and they like it they grew up on the books um they relate with the character but i mean harry potter is a very and and oh god the internet's gonna kill me for this it is such a watered dumbed down version of star wars it, it really is through and oh. through. So um, yeah. that that's my take on it. But it's, again, I will watch them 
and I'll go, they're okay. But somebody would be able to throw um, that same criticism at my love for like the Canon Ninja films and go, you're an idiot for putting those on a pedestal. And I go, oh, I agree. So I'm, I'm in the same camp as the Harry Potter fans because I will defend my ninja films from the 80s till I'm blue in the face because I grew up on those the same way that people who may have grown up with Harry Potter. So I, I totally get it. But yeah, I just I don't get the love for Harry Potter at all. Mm. OK, who is your favorite Ninja Turtle and why? Uh Oh, oh, is this the hardest question? <laughs> no, this is, this, you know, what? it's the hardest question because I didn't grow up with the Ninja oh. Turtles that much. Uh, uh, so uh, I don't really know the difference between any of them. So I should probably have chosen them for the one I don't get. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Had I, had I known this was coming up. Um, like, it's interesting because, yeah, it's one of those shows. Uh, and this is, I think I'm going to blame my parents again. They didn't like me growing up with things that were vaguely violent. So I never watched Power Rangers. And I didn't mm. really watch Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because it was like violent <laughs> gangs, I guess. Um, Let, let's yeah, see. So it just you never got... happened to me when I was younger, and I was like, "Oh, I'm too old now to jump into it." How, how do we break this down, Brad? So you got to pick one. You've got Michelangelo, who's the fun-loving. Uh, He's party the party guy. dude. Yeah, Raphael is the hot-tempered one. Right? He has the attitude. Yes, has the attitude. Uh, Donatello. Um, the is smart one. The smart one, sort of the the nerd or the geek with the electronics, and Leonardo is the usually the calm, cool, collected leader. Leader. Yes. Yep. Uh, you know what? I, I in my head, I I know their names, so I was gonna go with Donatello just based on name alone. And yeah, I, I like that. I like the smart one. I can go with that. Based okay. on our interactions, I was gonna I was gonna put you as a Donatello. Yeah, I would have so. pegged you yeah. on that one too. Yep, yep. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> okay, last one. What is your favorite movie bomb that you would recommend? You might have already said one. I don't know if that movie bombed, but did it make a whole lot of money? Yeah, oh, it did actually. It's hard because, man, there's a lot of movies that bomb, isn't there? Yes, <laughs> there is. There's yes. probably more bombs than hits. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It kind of, and then it's sort of, then it becomes the question of like, can you count an indie movie as a bomb? Really? You can count whatever you want as a bomb. We we actually um, have expanded our use of the terminology because what we try to do is find something that bombed, maybe from a box off perspective as well as didn't, you know sit well with the critics, but sometimes we find things that, man, they made a, a ton of money, but they have like a 0% on Rotten Tomato. I mean, critically, that's a bomb. Um, mm. But yeah, so whatever whatever definition you want to use for that, I, I think it's a very subjective term, and we, we use it very loosely around here too. You know what? I will recommend, I don't think it did well. Let me double check. Um, it's another of the Yorgos ones that I, uh, Yorgos ones that I mentioned, uh, Killing of a Sacred Deer. I don't think that did very well at the box office. Let me double check. <laughs> now, what, did you see that before or after the lobster? I, I saw it after the lobster. Okay. So you recommend that one. What, what, what I is would it? recommend that one. It's like, and again, it's Colin Farrell and it's that weird dark humor sort of thing going on. If anything, it's darker. Uh, there's a lot of like <laughs> questions of like violence and stuff like mm -hmm. this. And it's literally, if you wanted like an introduction to why uh, Barry Keown's going to make like the, the best Joker, this is the movie to watch. Oh, okay. Interesting factor about that movie. It was shot um, in Cincinnati, which is about mm, 90 minutes from where I live around Hyde Park area and stuff. So yeah, it's a cool little geographical um, fact about that one. 
Oh, so it's a great pick. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Let's let's get to the movie that we're all here to talk about. And oh, you boy. picked this one, Sean. Tomorrowland from 2015. We've had um, a lot of Disney films uh, bomb that we've talked about. And we're actually talking about a director again, Brad Bird. So a while back, we talked about Iron Giant. But I'm, I'm curious, Sean, you, you kind of repped hard for this one. What is it about Tomorrowland? Is it um, something that you saw theatrically and you gravitated to? Uh, it, it, do you watch it on a regular basis? Um, what, what is it about this film that made you kind of say, hey, I'm, I want to get out there and, and really kind of talk about this and, and dissect it? So for me, I'm obviously been in the UK. It's not like I don't go often, but I, I love the Disney parks and Walt Disney World in particular. And I love the idea of what Tomorrowland is in terms of what it that that promise it sort of brings of like <laughs> the, the bright, beautiful, beautiful future and what, what endless possibilities it could be. And I remember seeing the trailer for Tomorrowland and thinking, yeah, this looks like it's promising that. And then I saw the box office for it after the first <laughs> week and I was like, ah, no one else for what I saw then. <laughs> and it, yeah, it, since then, it's kind of been one of that I've ris- visited kind of fairly regularly. I was surprised how much I kind of go back to it because I need something that's kind of a light action film that has a good moral compass. And I feel like it's kind of hard to find a good moral compass action film nowadays sometimes. It's like it has a pure heart for what it's trying to do, I think. Okay. I like that. Um, did you, so you saw this theatrically then when it first came out, right? Yes. Wow. In a very empty cinema. Okay. <laughs> it was just I, me. Same way. I, I took the kiddos to see it. Uh, I don't remember it doing very well opening weekend. We saw it opening weekend. Brad, it, I, I, did you see this before? I is did this not. first time watch? This is my first time seeing this. Oh, okay. This week. This is awesome. Yeah. Well, I had it. it. Ironically, I was just like, upstairs and I wasn't going to watch it downstairs in the theater, but I was like, I'll just throw it on Disney plus searching on Disney plus, And it's like not on there. I'm like, this is a Disney movie. Why is it not on Disney plus? So I don't know why it's not on in the U S on Disney plus, but I had to actually go and put in the, the Blu-ray, which I just find it weird that stuff still isn't on Disney plus when this was obviously something that they could put on there. I don't know why. Yeah, uh, weird. maybe, I don't know. We'll get into that. Um, I, I, it was a very interesting watch this time around. I'll say that. So, uh, we start with kind of getting in the time machine and going back <laughs> to see how this thing did when it first debuted, gives us a little glimpse on, Hey, you know, was, was there a reason that this bombed, um, simply because of the competition was up against, or, you know, was the timing right? So, Brad, take us back to 2015 when Tomorrowland came out and how was this received on its initial release? Yeah. So the funny thing about this is I actually found all in budget on this movie. Um, so when we usually talk about production, we're only usually talking about half, roughly half. Um, here, I have the all in budget. So 300 all, in all in. All in is defined as marketing, production cost, everything that distribution, distribution the whole nine years. Yeah. $330 million for this movie in 2015. That's in 2015. Yes. Pretty big. Yes. Um, total domestic gross, total domestic gross, $93 million. Oh, ouch. Uh, international. It was 115 for a grand total of about 200 and 
$1.9 million. Disney wrote off about 120 to $150 million on this movie. $150 million on this movie. Now, think about it, Troy. Wow. We've already talked about John Carter. Um, you know, that was another three-digit write-off they had to do. Lone Ranger. Um, Lone Ranger, another one. So when Disney misses, they miss. Big. But when they hit, they they can afford some of these. But this is this is one of those things where you start looking at these bombs at this size, and you're like, you wrote off like five hundred million dollars um, on three films. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Even if you're Disney, um, opening weekends. It opens at number one with $33 million. Now, that is scary low when you're thinking about when your budget is. Was, your produ- it was a summer film, if I remember correctly. Film. May, oh, I'm sorry. May yeah. 22nd, 2015. Um, summer film. The production budget was $190. Um, so even barely breaks um, its production budget. But if you... If you have a production budget of 190, you probably want to make at least 100 on your first weekend um, because your multiplier two, you're getting to 200 million. You're basically hoping to break even. 33 is substantially less than 100 um, there. um, But Tomorrowland beats out films like Pitch Perfect 2, Mad Max Fury Road, Poltergeist, and don't worry about Walt Disney because. Avengers Age of Ultron came out that summer, so it did just fine. Yeah, they're fine. Um, Hot Pursuit, Furious 7, uh, Paul Blart, and that's about it on the films that came out. Then Rotten Tomatoes has this film at a 49, or I'm sorry, 50% with the critics and a 49% with the audience. So right in line with each other, which is something you don't see very often. Um, yeah, Troy. Yes. What do we think the Christians say about this movie? Oh, the infamous movie guide. So, yes. Brad, you want to you want to refresh everybody on what the rating system is? Yeah. So, Movie Guide is a Christian website that reviews films not for their quality but for their content, um, and they go from a scale of minus four, which is the most evil, mm-hmm. to a plus four, which gets you right into heaven. There, Troy, with the no zeros. Um, wow, this one's a tough one to call. So I, I agree yeah. with Sean. It tries to have this very optimistic optimistic message within it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But man, it's got pagan worldviews, and we know mm-hmm. they don't like pagan worldviews. I'm gonna I'm gonna say a negative one. Actually, Ooh, okay. What, what's your guess, Sean? Um, I think it's because it's like because it's like giving humanity a chance to alter God's plan. Uh-oh. I think it's like a minus three. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, that, I, that's a good take on that. I didn't even think about that. It is the difference between you guys. It is a minus two. Oh, okay. we've done quite a few films. This being a minus two is baffling because <laughs> what are we even doing? That old okay. website's baffling. What are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> Here we go. <clears throat> Strong humanist worldview where people create their own destiny. Sean nailed the first sentence nice. with no mention of the supernatural a false belief in mind over matter and some other pagan content concerning a Cherokee myth about the origins of good versus evil, plus strong environmentalist content and comments, including global warming Mm -hmm. shown and mentioned five light obscenities, three profanities, strong violence, including robots who look like humans 
Which woman and man's head gets cut off? That's a terrible sentence. And little girl holds up head. Women and man shoot at young girls. Man's hand gets cut off. Main teenage main teenage girl beats in the head with a bat. These sentences are atrocious. Young girl gets hit by a car going at high speed. Girl falls downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yep. Wow. Okay. Man, man, men fist fight. Young girl martial arts fights with men and women. Yeah. No sexual content. But Whoa, here we go. Hold on. Hold Wait on. A- no, no. Okay. No. All right. But implied relationship between George Clooney's character and a young girl. Okay. Though Clooney's characters love the girl as a child, he still feels sad at an older age that she never reciprocated. Huh. And the young girl finally tells him she loved him, though the age gap is multiple decades. No nudity, no drinking or alcohol use, no smoking or drugs. And teenage girl lies, family with a single parent. <laughs> yeah, you know what? When you lay it all out like that, it's probably a negative three. <laughs> I'm going with Sean on this little, one. <laughs> Why was the positive? Yeah. Uh, uh, not a lot. I mean, th- I, you know what? That website might be right. It's, yeah. Yeah. Whew. There's a lot of things you can d- dive deep on. Okay. And films you could have seen May of 2015. We've mentioned, uh, Avengers Age of Ultron on its way to making an, an infinite amount of money. Um, the Hot Pursuits, Ma- Mad Max Fury Road, Pitch Perfect 2, and Poltergeist. Oh, sorry, Poltergeist. And then San Andreas and Aloha round out the month. So is is this a case that do you, do you guys think that this would have done better had it not been released with a marvel film like it feels like yes. disney is going right up against each other so any other month do you, do you think it would have done better yeah i wonder why they didn't release it later or before ultron because at that point in time people weren't going to see age of ultron and something else they're seeing age of ultron and that's it yeah i, I mean what's your take on it sean yeah like it's a real tough period because i know like mad max kind of as well was super Mm -hmm. popular like and that's kind of it's interesting because obviously like pitch perfect 2 i feel like does take a little bit of that audience away as well because obviously it's sort of like a little bit more younger audience themed and obviously that's what tomorrowland's main audience meant to be but yeah you're right like disney was sort of like eating itself (laughs) alive there by putting it too close to to an avengers film and i think they've probably learned their lesson a a bit from that yeah i think so also also when you think about it, though, at some point in time, you know you have a hit with Ultron. You know it's a bona fide hit. You don't really even care. And you're like, well, we're going to have this other movie out as well. So maybe people will see the poster when they go see Age of Ultron. It's kind of like free advertising at that point in time. Maybe they'll stick around and see Tomorrowland because it's another Disney film. I don't think that ever really works, but you could kind of argue your way into that. Like, well, they're at the theater. Maybe they'll see the poster and be like, oh, George Clooney. Yeah, I I think they've gotten better, though, about not doing that and just saying, we'll put the trailer on Age of Ultron for Tomorrowland and it comes out in like 30 or 60 days. And yeah, um, yeah, that's so weird. Like from a from a business perspective, uh, you just knew that it wasn't going to do well um, releasing in that month, especially with Age of Ultron, given what it's geared towards. Right. So let's talk about the people who um, worked behind the camera and who showed up in front of the camera. We're going to start with Brad Bird. We talked about him when we talked about Iron Giant, but I, I want to get your take, Sean. 
Brad Bird is a director. Where, where do you land with him? I think he's a great director. I don't think he's really done a miss yet, despite the, the box office results. <laughs> I think Iron Giant, fantastic. He did both The Incredibles films, right? Yep. Both mm-hmm. fantastic. He did, I think, maybe my second favorite of the Mission Impossibles. Ghost Protocol. Well. Ghost, right. Protocol yep. yeah. Ghost Protocol, yeah. And yeah, like I think I enjoy this a lot more than <laughs> most people probably do as well. I think this is probably like the only one that people would say is a hundred percent a miss. Okay, well, for most people, yeah, we we talked about him and and kind of shared our thoughts about him when we discussed the Iron Giant. Uh, I don't know, almost a year ago, Brad, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I okay. think it was. Yep. And and just to give people context in terms of chronology, um, Brad Bird had done Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol in 2011, Tomorrowland in 2015, and then followed that up with Incredibles 2 in 2018. So he's been working on a lot of big budget stuff. Right? Well, yeah, I mean, Ghost Protocol makes 700 million dollars, so they shows I can take a big budget and then remake you money back on that hand over fist. Yeah. And when we talk about production and development, we'll actually talk about a film that he was supposed to direct, but um, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, screenplay. Another interesting name shows up, Damon Lindelof. So creator of the Lost TV series, um, he's he's had some misses in his resume. <laughs> you might know his name from movies like Cowboys and Aliens, uh, Prometheus, which I think is kind of a divisive film. Um, Star Trek Into Darkness, we were talking about the J.J. Abrams stuff, World War Z, uh, which he did in 2013 and then follows that up with Tomorrowland in 2015. And then uh, he's been working on TV series, stuff like The Leftovers and The Watchmen miniseries, and most recently, right, pause. The Hunt it's in 2020. Button. Yep. The Leftovers is one of the greatest shows that no one has ever seen, and I absolutely love it. The third season of The Leftovers is one of the best seasons of TV, period. Okay, I'm done. I never even heard of this until I looked it up, oh and I'm my like, God. You, this is criminal, honestly. Yes. The Leftovers is literally the best series possible. Like, there's this. In series two, it's the assassin episode in the hotel. It's the best episode of cinema, like ever, any TV show ever. So you're saying I need to watch this series? Yes. Yes. 100%. On October 14, 2011, Troy, 2% of the entire world disappears. Okay. And- yeah, like the best way I've found to describe it is like this is to describe it to people who want to understand it via like marvel terms is imagine thanos snaps and then two percent of the people disappear and then you just have to watch what happens during that time period where no one comes back oh okay and you're just watching what the regular people have to deal with i am interested i will check so this yeah out. so if you go out to like people like i don't know just websites that rank things yeah you'll see the leftovers on list of best tv shows of all time that good really? yes yeah wow all right top most of the time it's in the top 10. Yeah. All right. I will watch it. I will watch it. Okay. You sold me. Um, the other person attributed this. Oh, screen. and also yeah. he what? did the Watchmen series, which is also a fantastic TV show. So yes, I bought that. I haven't watched it yet, but you mm. told me to buy it. So I bought it. Uh, we've got Brad Bird who contributed the screenplay as well, which isn't unusual. He, he does write a lot of his films that he directs and story by Jeff Jensen, who worked on Tomorrowland and the Watchmen TV series. Director of photography is Claudio Miranda. So uh, this is pretty interesting. Uh, he, I know what you're going to say. You're going to bring up something. Yeah, I am going to bring up something. So, you know, I think he was around 2006, comes on the scene for failure to launch. Um, does the curious case of Benjamin Button, 
2008, nominated for an Oscar for cinematography, uh, does Tron Legacy in 2010. He starts to work with Joseph Kaczynski, right? So that that name's kind of important, especially this week, uh, because, you know, the second best film of 2022 came out on physical media this week, Top Gun Maverick. Um, he directed that, by the way, starring one Mr. Tom Cruise, by the way. Uh, now he does Life of Pi in 2012 and wins an Oscar for cinematography, works on Oblivion in 2013, does Tomorrowland, follows that up with Only the Brave. Um, did we mention Top Gun Maverick? That came out this year. He he shot that one, as well as uh, Spiderhead in 2022. So the pedigree of the person filming this thing is top notch, I'd say. Yes, no? Yeah, and like stuff like Life of Pi, Oblivion, Tron Legacy, say what you will about those actual movies, but they look amazing. They're gorgeous. Yes. 100%. Yeah. There's not like a bad looking movie out of that that lot. I agree. I agree. No, I mean, even like Only the Brave is about firemen and it still looks amazing. So um, yeah, check out Only the Brave. I think that, I think people sleep on that movie. I like it a lot. Well, check out Top Gun Maverick that came out this year. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and call it. He's going to probably win another Academy Award for that one because um, it's it's just shot fantastic. Uh, edited by Walter Murch, um, which we've talked about when we talked about the Wolfman episode 2010. That was a bomb. And it was yes. also edited by Craig Wood, which guess what? He worked on another bomb that uh, was on the show, The Lone Ranger in 2013. Let's talk about the people in front of the camera. We're going to start with George Clooney. Uh, I'm going to start with you again, Sean. What are your thoughts on on George? Fan? Not a fan? I'm I'm like someone who's getting into his work a bit more. Um, I love him in the Oceans once, and I finally got around to watching uh, Descendants a couple oh, weeks God. ago. God, so and good. Are you still so sad? Good. Are you still sad? Yeah, like, <laughs> I am. <laughs> I was like, oh man, nice Hawaii film. I love yeah. Hawaii. <laughs> and then I got very, very sad, very yep. quick. Um, and yeah, like I love just the aura he gives off in every single film. Like there's just this relaxed feel every time he's on the screen. What about his Coen Brothers stuff? Uh, have, oh, have you come? Yes. Okay. Like, I love Hail Caesar. Oh, like, so yes. oh my God. He's so Which good is that. just like, like, he's beyond, like, it shows how much star power he has. Burn After Reading. I think he's great at Burn After Reading. Like, it's ridiculous how good he is in that movie. George Clooney is a bona fide movie star. I mean, he, to me, he represents the movie stars we had in the 40s and 50s, especially when you look at his work like Hail Caesar, which he did the year after Tomorrowland. Uh, and, and, you know, his, I don't know his work. He's one of the few actors when you, when you see his name, even if it's in a romantic comedy, I'm like, yeah, I'll watch it. Cause it's got George Clooney. So where was it, he from Troy? Where was he from? Um, where's Clooney from Grizzly two in 1983. <laughs> no, oh, uh, I don't know. Where's he from? Kentucky? He's from Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah. There you go. Figured. No, he's, he's great. I mean, he's, he's one of, he's one of the few, I think true movie stars that we have that, he can actually bring the box office in for the most part and anything that he's in, he's guaranteed to going to be good in for the most part. I mean, even, even the movies that might be quote unquote subpar, like I don't think monuments men is a fantastic film, but I think he's really good in it. (laughs) That leaves us um, to Britt Robertson as Casey Newton. So she got her start in 2000 on a TV series called Sheena. Um, She played little Sheena. And leading up to Tomorrowland, um, she actually had a couple of movies come out that year. The Longest Ride, and, along with Tomorrowland, and, and today is still doing a mix of television and film. 
I, I keep calling her not Jennifer Lawrence. Like she kind of looks like Jennifer Lawrence, but like not. So she does. She does have that spunk um, and quality to her. We've got our villain, Hugh Laurie as Nix. Um, has he really graduated from any role outside of house? No, he's house. I mean, every time you see him, you're like, that's the house guy. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even watch house, but I'm like, I know that's house. That's Dr. House. I mean, it's funny you say that, but I know him from other stuff. Like, oh. <laughs> it's because he's like he's a British actor before that. I know him from he worked with Stephen Fry for for a good few years doing like a comedy like sketch show, and I know him from that. And he did I think he did Black Adder as well. So <laughs> that sort of stuff kind of starts with me more than House. And I, I've seen Black enough. Adder, but I, I don't know. I feel like House. I mean, I it totally blew my mind how long it ran two thousand four two thousand twelve. Mm. but I, I can't think of anybody else playing that character. And I've only seen a few episodes. Uh, but once you get that role, I, I feel like post 2012, no matter what you do, you're always weighed against that house character. I, 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 I think you're right. I think as well, they keep putting him in like roles where it's like, we just want you to play house again. Mm-hmm. Like just do the house thing. I, I think so. That, that might be true. Uh, we get, I'm probably butcher her first name. Uh, is it Rafi Cassidy as Athena? So she's a little robot girl. She was in dark shadows in 2012, snow white and the huntsman in 2012 did Tomorrowland in 2015 and then allied in 2016. Uh, this was an interesting choice. Tim McGraw as Eddie Newton, the rocket scientist person. And I know what you're thinking, like Tim McGraw, the three time Grammy award winner who did that song. Don't take the girl that Tim McGraw. Yep. That one. Uh, he was also in uh Friday night lights as one of the players dads who he was excellent in that movie. Yeah. He's it, it's surprising that he actually has the filmography that he does. It's kind of interesting. Uh, he's not bad. Troy. He's, he's, not bad. he's actually pretty good. I'm going to say <laughs> that. Uh, I like, I like his acting better in his music. I'll say that. <laughs> Uh, the lo- that's the <laughs> lowest of bars. <laughs> I know, man. When my wife plays that song, that, that don't take the because I looked at my, I, I was like, man, do I have any Tim McGraw songs like on iTunes? And yeah, we got one. Stupid, don't take the girl. Uh, two names that I want to mention real quick: Catherine Hahn as Ursula. I think a lot of people will know her from WandaVision more recently. You know, Marvel mm-hmm. as Agatha Harkness. What's funny is. She she likes to work. In 2015 alone, she had nine different projects going on between film and TV. And then the other person to mention is Keegan-Michael Kay as Hugo. Michael Key. Michael Key. Okay, excuse yes. me. Um, already has 126 acting credits listed on IMDb. In 2015, he had 16 projects that he was working on, including the last season of um, Key and Peele. Uh, what do you, what do you think about these two? I mean, I, when, when you look at their filmography, you're like, oh my God, they were in that. I mean, I feel like in the last 10 years, they've been in everything. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I love both of them. They're, they're super funny and their scene is definitely one of the standouts of the movie. We'll get to that later, but yeah, it was, it was kind of fun seeing them play off each other. Oh, I agree. I, what, what about you, Sean? You, you a fan of either? Yeah, like I, I think they're both great, and I love that they're both kind of getting bigger roles as well. Like they've kind of gone from being, like back in twenty fifteen, they yeah they were doing like nine ten movies a year because they were playing all these like smaller parts. But now they're kind of getting chunkier roles, and I feel like you're seeing you've been able to go back and be like, oh yeah, I remember them from this. I didn't realize they were even in this. To be honest, 
Like I, I until recently, I didn't realize it was Catherine Hahn. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I, I, because I was, yeah, like I sort of only sort of really kind of when I revisit it. I think it was like I revisited it a month ago, and then I've rewatched it today as well. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, Catherine Hahn's in this, and this is great. Like she's so good. Yeah, she she is good. I I, I feel really good I'm for Keegan Michael Key now because there for a little bit it was like oh yeah you were the guy that worked with jordan peele and now he's like made his own name and i'm i'm happy for him with that because he's better than just the wingman of jordan peele so he is i i would agree with that i feel like uh jordan peele gets a lot of love for kind of his stuff he does behind the camera and his writing etc um but i i love that keegan is he's just coming in I hate saying that he's coming into his own but i feel like people are paying more attention to him now right mm-hmm. and he and he's not just like part of that partner i believe he's toe isn't he toad in the super mario brothers movie yeah yeah mm. i'm yeah. excited I'm, mm. I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna lie uh let's talk about production and development so tomorrowland is one of the many themed lands featured at the magic kingdom you talked about this sean uh you've been to tomorrowland then right you've done that yes so i visited the one they've got like obviously got disney parks across the world but i've been to the one in france in paris and i've been to the one in florida Okay. So this was another sort of property that was designed around that. In 2010, um, Damien Lindelof began discussions with Walt Disney Studios about producing a modern science fiction Disney film with Tomorrowland as the basis. The project was greenlit by Disney. And um, it this happened about June 2011. Lindelof signed on to write and produce a film with the working title 1952. That's what it was originally called. Lindelof asked Jeff Jensen, who had previously published material on his TV show Lost, if he was interested in contributing to the story elements. Jensen agreed and began to research the history of the Walt Disney Company, particularly Walt Disney's fascination with futurism, scientific innovation and utopia, as well as his involvement in the 1964 New York World's Fair and Disney's unrealized concept for the Epcot Center. So in May 2012, Brad Bird was hired as a director. Bird's story ideas and themes were influenced by the fading of cultural optimism (laughs) that once defined society in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s. Stating that, and this is from Brad, when Damon and I were first talking about the project, we were wondering why people's once bright notions about the future gradually seemed to disappear. Uh, Brad Bird had been tapped to direct Star Wars Episode Seven, So Disney went to him and said, hey, you want to direct this behemoth? He turned it down because he wanted to do Tomorrowland. What's interesting about the behind-the-scenes production, this thing went pretty smooth. So most of the times when we talk about the history of these films and we talk about movie bombs, you can kind of see it falling apart during the production. Such and such left. They got fired. Somebody had food poisoning. You know, whatever it is. This one just ran pretty smooth. They, they had a budget. They stuck to the budget. They filmed it. Uh, the creatives behind this, and, and let's specifically say Brad Bird and Damian Lindelof, I mean, they got everything they wanted on the screen and probably not much pushback from the studio at all. So this is kind of a unique story um, for a movie bomb that we're going to talk about. So I'm, I'm super excited to get into this because I'm really – I, I can't tell you uh, how pleased I am that we're talking with somebody outside of the United States about Tomorrowland because I think there's some politics in here that could get kind of interesting. Uh, 
So uh, gentlemen, how about we take a quick break and when we come back, we dive into our thoughts on the film. How's that sound? Love it. Let's do it. All right, we'll be back. They're at the movies, it's the big date. They love their popcorn, look what they ate. This kind of action is the main attraction. Oh boy, ain't love grand. He's buying lots of goodies, ice cream, Pepsi, and peanuts too. Living on love's not easy. You need your strength to woo. Now he returns. What's this she yearns? Refreshing Pepsi, a kiss he earns. Romance and pleasure, and for good measure, thirst-quenching Pepsi. For those who think young. Four, three, two, one. Man has conquered the moon. The world has witnessed the epic journey of Apollo 11. Now the stars lie ahead. Now take another momentous journey, journey to the far side of the sun. But what happens when man boldly ventures into outer space and discovers a vast mystery on his incredible journey to the far side of the sun? A planet that is an identical twin to our Earth, where you and every human being have an absolute double, where you can meet yourself face to face on A Journey to the Far Side of the Sun, the astounding chronicle of man's challenge to the universe and the galaxy's fight for survival. Journey to the Far Side of the Sun from Universal in color is rated G, suggested for general audiences. Okay, we are back. We're ready to dive into this thing. Uh, this should be an interesting conversation. Sean, you picked a doozy, man. I, I honestly thought we were going to discuss sort of a Walt Disney, big budget action adventure film, and we were going to have some discussions about the action, the production, you know, why didn't it connect with the audience, et cetera. But I find myself uh, now, a few days after watching it, thinking, this is going to be a very interesting conversation because there's a lot of stuff going on in this film, even outside of the spectacle. So I, I want to start with you and I want to get your impressions. So you watched it today, I think, and, and, you know, talk to us about your opinion of this film and, and where you land on it after multiple viewings. So I remember when I first watched it, I think I remember I gave it like a four out of five when I first watched it. And I was like, hey, this is better than I kind of expected and better than the reviews were coming out for it. Okay. And since then, I've rewatched it and it's just slowly crept up as well. It's like four and a half out of five now, around abouts. Oh. And it's interesting to me because it's <laughs> it's almost, it's such a bitter film in a way it's very bitter about the way like it's worldview currently but it's also got this like optimism underneath which i think is very unique for films nowadays um there's so much like like you said there is a lot going on which is honestly not related to any of the action none of the spectacle it's like just a big moral message yes <laughs> like, layered <laughs> um I guess from your perspective, is is this? Do you see this as a truly American film, and something that could only be created within an American studio, or do you think that um, 
I don't know, the view or the messaging or just what ended up being created, it, does, does it resonate with anybody outside of, um, you know, the Disney culture, the Disney population, or even America? I think, I think it's really interesting that you talk about, like, in terms of, like, how it can probably be viewed as, like, the American dream, like, a new American dream. Right. And it's kind of got an old Hollywood view of how it's trying to go about things in a way. It's trying to push, um, and it, and Brad Bird mentioned it, and you mentioned a quote from him talking about how uh, the old films that portray the future used to be very optimistic, and now the 70s, 80s, 90s, all, all your like futuristic films were like gritty, noir, <laughs> noirs, and uh, everything's gone wrong. And it's sort of interesting to see another a film come, come out and try and have that optimism again. And I wonder if the reason it didn't succeed in a way is because that optimism isn't wanted a little bit. People kind of have a oh. bit of a nihilistic look on life nowadays. Then the, the optimism's gone. And especially in regards to things like it's talking about like global warming, it's talking about the end of days, basically. And it's kind of like hard to go about those films in a kid's film as well without it sounding like, this is it. <laughs> this is the end. You've got to do something about it. Okay. And I think it kind of does an interesting job of doing it because it kind of puts it in your hands to be like, hey, you can be the change. You're, you're the one who can make a difference. So from storytelling perspective and just kind of a uh, – on a – I hate using this term, but sort of a popcorn film level where, you know, check your brain at the door, enjoyment, enjoy the spectacle. How do you think it does at, at that? I think it's, it's strong in parts. I think the, the two like major action sequences, I'd say, uh, there's like an action sequence in like a sci-fi shop. Great stuff. And there's an action sequence in George Clooney's house. And I think that's also really creative. And I think those moments work really well. Outside of that, though, there is a lot of like time spent just kind of talking between each other, and that probably loses a lot of the audience as well, and kind of moves it away from being just a yeah, leave leave your brain at the door, just enjoy the action and spectacle of it all. Okay, and so you're multiple viewings. You're like, I came in at a four out of five, and now it's probably four and a half. It's crept up there, right? Yeah, and I don't know if that's maybe just because my worldview has been changing over like recent years, and <laughs> say like I, the last two and a half years or so. Yeah, something like yeah, that. And uh, and uh, you know what? It's, it's interesting as well because obviously I'm doing this podcast on Avatar, and there's like this sort of underlying optimism of Avatar about changing the world and making a difference and positive action for the environment and i feel like tomorrowland kind of slips on in there to be like hey it tried to do the same thing and it didn't work quite as well and i, I I'm, I'm pleased it tried it okay that makes sense uh brad so first time watch first time viewing mm -hmm. you put the blu-ray in you sit down you watched it thought about it where, where are you landing on this thing yeah so going into this thing i had probably about the lowest expectations because I'm like, okay, this is Disney trying to make another pirates of the Caribbean. Like I, I know exactly what we're going to do here. And then it like circumvents my expectations, like almost immediately. And I'm like, Oh, we're going for something way different. And there is this heavy handed look, the message is right up front. I mean, it is like, we need to be positive, positive thoughts, be dreamers, be creatives. We can 
we can stop whatever we are doing. We just have to come together and do it. And look, that's great. Like there's a reason why we love sports movies, right? We love it when the underdog goes up, it beats Ivan Drago and, you know, we in the cold war via boxing match or whatever. Like there's a reason why we love when queen comes on and sings, we are the champions at the end and the credits roll. Like it, it feels good. We need that. Um, and God damn it, Troy, this movie got me. <laughs> like I was not expecting this movie to hook me like it did, but I absolutely love this movie start to finish. Is it a little too long? Of course it is. There's no reason why it needs to be two hours and 10 minutes. Um, does it get too long to get to Tomorrowland? Of course it does. But everything that it does, I really enjoyed. I, The message got me. Like, And I don't know if it's because like, at one point in time, I wanted to be a creative. I wanted to draw. And I wanted to be a comic book artist for the longest time. And when push came to shove, I chickened out and I went to business school. And now I do business stuff. And that's not the most creative thing in the world. And And so this one was like, you know what, like what would have happened? Not that I don't love my life that I have now, but it just got me thinking about choices and, and, and coming together and creating things and building things. And, um, just, there's a moment in this movie where they're like about, you know, the signs are all there, but humans are just lazy and they don't want to do anything to change it. And I'm like, God, that's correct. Like, for you know for change like millions of people will change their uh twitter avatar to a black box and think oh you know i'm making a difference because i i'm doing this and that's how i'm standing up the things but when push comes to shove they don't do anything right and this movie just uh, man i i watched this movie twice because i was like twice oh my goodness yeah because i watched it and i was like wait did I love that movie or was it just my <laughs> expectations were almost zero that I was just like, Oh, I'm pleasantly surprised. And I watched it again and I, I picked up on so much more stuff. And again, all of it is laid out in the biggest font possible in bold, italicized and underlined. Like it's not subtle at all. And Brad bird kind of does it like none of his movies, like iron giant, not subtle, right? It's not subtle at all. This movie's not subtle. The Incredibles really not. I mean, it's like he made Watchmen for babies, essentially, which is fine. But like, it's what it is, what it is. But God damn, I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, I, I do have problems with it. Like, I think I think it does get too. I think it we we take way too long to get to Tomorrowland. Like, if you're going to call your movie like Pirates of the Caribbean and we don't see a whoa, pirate whoa, whoa, back out. The, the first 30 minutes is Tomorrowland. Not really, though. Not like the real, because there's like there, we know that there is like this doomsday clock at the beginning, and so we're just waiting for whatever they're going to show. And obviously, it's the apocalypse. Like obviously, it's the apocalypse. But when we get there, it's like, oh, this is the real Tomorrowlands. I wish you know we kind of got here before then. Like again, like I was going to say, Pirates of the Caribbean. If we don't see the Black Pearl until the last forty minutes, like I feel like you get cheated. Um, Man, then you get like Clooney, and it's like Clooney is way overqualified for this role, <laughs> and he is so good. He is so good in this that you're just like I, I'm just so bummed that a, a film that would have a positive message like this gets completely shut out, and 
look, I love Mad Mad's Fury Road. I think it's one of the greatest films ever made. But two things could be correct at the same time. These both of these films could be amazing, and they both needed to be seen. Um, and I'm just sad that people skipped out on this one. And I understand why. Like it's, I, I don't know if people really care about being inspired. Like, I, I just don't. I think the cynic in me is like people don't want to be inspired anymore. Okay. So, wow, I did not expect that reaction from you, Brad. <laughs> We, we've been see my heart isn't all black troy no i thought There's it was a spot in there There's i, a I spot. thought it was all black <laughs> i'm so happy yeah sean, right i wish people could see sean is glowing i was fist pumping <laughs> i'm so happy that you love i am one of the hardest people to please too, he john, is so good job i was honestly expecting you to be like this is garbage <laughs> wow uh so let me just do a recap you guys jump in help me out here you really love the film. It, it's got some problems. Uh, great spectacle. And the message. The message mm-hmm. is what? It, what was the message again? I mean, it's just inspiration. Like, be a dreamer. Be a dreamer. Th- that's it? Well, I mean, there's... I mean, yeah. I mean, we can all make of the world a better place, essentially, if we just do. <laughs> if we just do. If we get off yeah, our lazy if we just Essentially, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's basically taking that extra step that you feel too afraid to do. If you take that one extra step, you can be the difference. You can make the wind the clock back. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so let let's talk about the premise of Tomorrowland just real quick. So if you come down on this movie, I swear just to God, real quick, just help me out here. Help me out. So I'm I'm going to be fully transparent. When I first saw this in the movie theater, went with my kids, and I walked out, and I was like, meh. There, there's a section in the middle that's really good takes a while to get there and at some point it peaks and it never kind of recovers and the first time i i saw it it was like yeah okay cool walked out totally forgot about it uh wasn't ever ever gonna revisit it again to be quite honest until uh you i think i think it ended up on our list because this shows up in some of those like biggest bombs of all time. Yeah. Sure. They wrote off $150 million. So it's yeah. going to come up on a list. And then, and then when you, you read Sean's, uh, you know, exchange and email, I'm just like, dude, we got to talk about this. I mean, Sean's making a pretty good, pretty good case. This needs to go up on the list. So we watched it again, went out and bought it. Um, so, but, but I had an entirely different reaction on, on this viewing and you guys can help me through this. Okay. So walk me through. Here's the premise. Scientists are building robots in the beginning to go and recruit the brightest, smartest, and most innovative thinkers in the world and send them to an alternate reality. That's that's what happens, right? That's one of our main characters. She's a robot. Yeah, Athena. You know. mm-hmm. Yep. So the whole idea is bring the best of the best of planet Earth into Tomorrowland here they can work on all their amazing ideas without the interference of politicians, bureaucracy, corporate greed, and dumb people. Yeah, the red tape. The red essentially. tape. Yep. So they can create a utopian society and be free from the destructive public. Uh, and, and they, in turn, can just do all these incredible things like make jetpacks. Right. Some Brad Bird obviously loved the Rocketeer. Yeah, the Rocketeer, yes. Because <laughs> everybody has jetpacks in this place. 
So basically, if you're special, you don't want to be surrounded by mediocrity. So we're going to ship you off to some other universe. That's the premise. Yeah. Okay. So what happens? Primary universe, Earth, is now devoid of all its special people because they're in Tomorrowland. And it starts to lose its optimism. Why? Because all the optimistic people are in another universe. The world is on the brink of destruction. Even our education system, there's actually kind of a funny little sequence yes. where she's going to school and every class she goes to is, oh my God, the world's going to end, right? She gets it from her English uh, teacher, from math teacher, from science. Uh, so it's, it's basically saying, look, the world's a well, terrible- Well, what's her question? Hold on. They're okay. saying the world is a terrible place and it's leading to one big apocalypse. And her question is, yeah, what are you going to do about it? And they're like, doesn't matter. It's all leading to a bad place, mm -hmm. which makes sense. That would be the response because all of the smart, optimistic people are in Tomorrowland because they're special and they're over there. They were. Well, yeah. I mean, hmm. they didn't come back, right? George Clooney yeah. got kicked out, yeah. but everybody else was supposed to be over there. But, you know, it's not really our fault because somebody built a machine uh, the smart people built the machine, George Clooney built the machine that is feeding all of this negativity into our brains. Okay. So it's the machine that's feeding that negativity to the brains and the smart people thought by showing us how bad things could get, we might get scared and correct it. That's the premise. Mm -hmm. But I mean, how could we, how could we even correct it? All the smart people in tomorrow land, right? Not all a select few. Each recruiter has 20 the best kids. of the best. All are in Tomorrowland. Um, so instead of sending the smart people back to fix things, they didn't even send us jetpacks, right? We didn't even get the jetpack, and that wasn't going to like change the planet. But we didn't even get the cool shit. It would have been fun, right? Yeah, they didn't even share their jetpacks and stuff. They decide, you know what? Screw it. All the people are going to die tomorrow because we showed them all this stuff. Doesn't work. Whatever. Special people are over here. Morons on Earth. There you go. Um, our heroes, they figure this out and they go, okay, we got to blow up the machine. They blow up the machine. What do they do? Well, let's create robots to go and recruit all the smart people. I don't the think the people at the end are robots. I think those are real people. No, they created robot kids at the end to go and recruit. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because yep. they're asking so they're about doing that. it all over. So you're saying they're doing it all over. They're again. doing it all over again, right? And now they're going for dreamers. And yeah, it's a political connotation. It was intended. Um, so for the new and improved Tomorrowland, and oh, oh, hold on, wait a second. They're just doing the same thing all over again by just saying, "Go get the special people." If you're not special, you don't get into Tomorrowland. You don't get your pin. And mediocrity, we can't champion that. We can't champion the average. It's got to be about the special people. And we're going to put the, the special people into here because they're, they're the optimistic ones. What am I missing? So for me, I read it as they're not, you know, when they're getting the dreamers, it's not that they're saying, okay, you, uh, <laughs> you're just going away to Tomorrowland. You'll never see the rest of society again until you dream up the solution to the world or whatever. The the inspiring image that will inspire the world. I think it's more of an integrated thing, from what I could tell. That's that's what my 
understanding of it was was that it wasn't that Tomorrowland and the real world were going to be separate how it was there was going to be more of like an intertwining of it so then that's why i thought they showed the people going through the gate at the end was like being able to do both like you could go back and forth yes like there is a a re like because are you assuming that or did they show that because they showed the people walking they show the people walking back with the same premise to go and recruit all these people to come to Tomorrowland and dream up this stuff the whole premise of it is take all the special people and put them in this alternate reality. And I, I get it. There, there's a very, ultimately you're not forced to go. You're, you're given the, the, the apparatus to go to Tomorrowland, but it's still up to you to go. Sure. But, yeah. but the whole premise of this is Tomorrowland is composed of the best, brightest people. They're, they're not taking the average Joe, right? Yeah. You're so taking- it's like, it's like the Ivy league, Troy. Uh, yeah, but you based an entire story over a couple of different messages Mm -hmm. that unless you're special, doesn't matter. You don't get the cool stuff. Got to be special in order to be special. You have to be like super optimistic and then be smart, brilliant, whatever it is. Um, artistic, you got to be the best in class of whatever, because even at the end they're like, well, here's a painter, here's this, that industrial, they're they're not giving this to the average person. They're, they're seeking out the people that are going to rebuild Tomorrowland that's where it lands, but that's what they were doing in the beginning of it. So from a messaging standpoint, it's basically saying you get to be a part of this bright, big future only if you possess or maintain this special quality to it. And and I would say that Brad Bird is, is very intent on that message because it's there in the Incredibles too. Why would superheroes have to answer to anybody and have to answer to the government when they're superheroes? I mean, there, there is this message that kind of comes through in some of, of his movies, which is you got to celebrate the best and brightest and they shouldn't, they shouldn't have to be beholden to the typical bureaucracy, politics, and laws of man because they're special. Yeah. What happens if, if Superman didn't land in Kansas, he landed in Russia. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and, and (laughs) the, the movie is very good at pontificating its message about global warming and optimism and all this other stuff. I mean, it comes to a grind and to a halt. Uh, I, I think my problem with this is when you put your social or your political message about storytelling or even visual artistry, you get a bad story and you risk alienating your audience to a certain degree. Um, your message can enhance the story. And I think the best films have a very good story, but you peel the onion back and there's some social commentary. There's something about the human condition. Heck, there's some politics in there. That's what makes it interesting, right? But you really need that message to add the complexity and layers to your story. But the story or the art really should come first, or at least feel like it organically comes together. When I watched it this time, I didn't know what the message was. I got the optimism piece of it. And I got little spurts of, oh, yeah, that is a pretty good message. Like, you've got teachers telling you how awful it is, but nobody's saying, Hey, let's like do some ideation or problem solving. Nobody concentrates on that. I mean, even at work in a corporate environment, it's easy to find a ton of people that go, well, this is what's wrong. It's really hard to find people who go, Hey, let's, let's try and find a solution. solution, Right. And the people who do the solution, I mean, they, (laughs) it's that Pareto principle, 2080, you know, 20% of the people come up with 80% of the ideas that that's everywhere politics, corporate world, et cetera. So 
it does have that interesting message that's in there on top of the environmentalism, on top of this other stuff. But there's this overarching story about Tomorrowland that I think is disingenuous to the message. And it is counterintuitive to that optimism. It's basically saying, if you're the C or the B student, there's no future for you. You have to rely on everybody else who's special. Um, you don't get to go to Tomorrowland. And it, it, the cyclical logic that occurs within the story of, well, look how cool Tomorrowland is, and we got all these jetpacks, et cetera. None of that made it over into the primary Earth. And so our heroes go through, and they destroy the big machine that's creating all the bad thoughts, et cetera. And then the end of the film on, we're going to go do the exact same thing that was occurring at the beginning. And it, and if anything, it, it really highlights the cyclical human behavior and condition that we're constantly just going to screw up and make the same mistakes over and over again. I would even go a step further and say the movie is basically it's half a movie mixed with outtakes from Al Gore's inconvenient truth plugged in. Um, and the little bit of story that you get, it, it is good in spots and the production and design, the visuals are really good but the message is really convoluted. Like you, you can pick and choose whatever you want to and concentrate on the optimism. But I think if you take a step back and look at the story, the story doesn't help the optimistic messaging of it. Um, and in fact, I actually think that story feels almost fascist. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what it's saying. I think it's basically somebody could look at this thing and go, if you don't meet this certain criteria, you don't get to be a part of Tomorrowland um, and we're going to take all the non-special people and put them on a train and take them to the showers. I, I'm not, that's extreme, but <laughs> I don't think it's saying that, but I, but I am saying there's just this weird messaging about taking the best and the brightest and putting a circle or fence around them and say, yeah, you lost your optimism, but we're going to take these people away from you to kind of put them in their own little shell away from your politics, et cetera give them no adversity and come up with all these great things. And personally, I believe adversity defines character. So what do you actually get out of that environment? Well, you get a whole world that is going to, is going to thrive with all its specialness while this other world is just going to wither away and it's going to happen again. You hit the pause button. So that was my take on it. And I, I, I was interested when I felt that when I, when I finished watching it. So I just typed in Google like politics and Tomorrowland and it's there. Um, there's some interesting, and I'm not saying it's there. I'm just saying that other people are taking that same messaging away and looking at it and saying, Hey, and, and I'm not talking about the, you know, the criticism Disney and, and modern production companies get today about, you know, Oh, we don't want messaging or indoctrination or wokeness in it. I think if you actually look at some of uh, the, the good critical evaluations of it, they say, it's got a pretty good section of movie in here, but it's messaging is super convoluted and the story works against this message of optimism. That's my take on it. John, you want to go? Cause I have a rebuttal. Um, <laughs> you know what? I, this is the thing. I don't think you're yeah, It's quite possible to read it that way. And I think that there is, yeah, it's very valid as well to say, yeah, this sort of like seclusion is a negative way to view it as well. And I wonder as well if for me, I think 
the reason I don't read it that same way is because of that time gap in between where it seems that no one else has been given, has been selected. Um, I don't know if you guys have watched The Good Place. Mm-mm. And, oh, okay, I can't talk about it then. <laughs> Darn it. All right. It's like I had a great analogy, but it yeah, won't work. it's a really good analogy. Anyway, um, but this whole idea that for years, basically, they haven't really had anyone new come in. They have been their own like circle. They haven't added new people into this group. You know, they've all stayed the same age. George Clooney's been kicked out and he's aged, what, 50 years or something like that. Yeah. And have they had anyone new in those 50 years? We don't really know. It doesn't, it seems to suggest maybe not that they've just sort of stuck, <laughs> you know, he created that machine. And as soon as he did, they were like, nope, we can't let anyone else in. That's it. No more. Well, and that, that's a good point. I, I, and again, without knowing, because it's not really spelled out. I, I think it got to the point where it was, we're watching what's going on. And if you see all of um, the hate and and the negativity and and the self-destruction, I mean, he even makes a, a comment of like, hey, we were, we were trying to warn you and you made video games out of it or something. So they, they may not like video games. They're like, oh, that's, that's rotten the kids' brains, whatever. They may look at that and say, well, we want to hold on to um, our specialness and inclusivity. So why bring more people in if from a judging perspective, you go, well, they're not worthy enough. I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is they had one set of preconditions and at some point said, well, the world doesn't meet that set of conditions. So therefore, we're closed off. What makes you think George Clooney and the others are going to go? They, they won't end up in the same place. They're doing the same thing. I mean, I think that's the risk with any sort. You know, that's the risk with anything where you like you need to change a system. You know, the but when you I implement the exact yeah. same system, but I don't think it is the exact same system. I think they're not looking for the exact same type of people that they were looking for before. I think it's not based on purely the best in their fields of like inventions or going to make the biggest uh, biggest breakthroughs. I think it is about more to do with the optimism which I think is what they were saying. You know, there's a whole generation who are optimistic and that optimism is more important and more influential to others, as in, like, it's inspiring and it can bring change. Right. I think maybe that's what I read into it more. But yeah, And that's again, valid. I, that, I, that, yeah. that makes sense. Because yeah. if you look at the the criteria that I guess they were handing out at the end, it wasn't just to inventors, et cetera. But I would still say there's still a set criteria and it's still devoted on taking a segment of the population and isolating them against the general population, regardless of what your criteria is. That's what they did in the beginning and that's what they're doing in the end. And I don't think that's a positive message. Okay, Troy. Yeah. So what what is the purpose of NASA? Uh, what it... Yeah, what's, what, what would you say? The, if, the- if from a layman's terms who doesn't know anything outside of um, just the rudimentary, what I read in the newspaper, it's mm-hmm. space exploration. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and part of that is inspiring human beings to think about exploring our universe, expanding our knowledge, mm-hmm. right? Who can become astronauts? Well, anybody who goes through the basic. Anyone? Yeah. But – not everyone gets to become an astronaut. You can, you, you have to be correct. Biggest. You have to be the brightest. You have to be all this stuff. Like, and, and so when I was looking at it like that, it was like, okay, NASA is a kind of a walled off 
entity that is built basically to inspire human beings to think about worlds outside of us. You think NASA was built part of their part of their, well, not, but what they do is they expand science and use science to help us believe and help us get to the point where we think we can explore the universe and expand our knowledge of the universe. Who funds NASA? The government. I know. Okay. So I, 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 let's, let's keep it. I I understand that, but any kid who looks up at the sky at some point in time says, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be an astronaut. I want to go to the moon. I want to do this. I want to do that. And, and that was to me when they're kind of, opening the gate at the end and people are going through, it's like, we're not here now to create this utopian world. We're here to inspire people to believe in themselves. And they would have to show Tomorrowland though, in order for inspiration. So I, I, I kind of thought that that was what they were going to do. It's like, the, no, they're the, giving I pins thought that's out. What the video, I thought that's what the video, like they did the video thing with George Clooney. And yes. Isn't that like, like that's that wasn't a video, world, right? That wasn't a video. They're talking. So the narrative construct is you get him telling a story, her telling a story, but in fact, they're just talking to their group of androids. They're telling the group of androids, you are going to go and look for this criteria. And so they're, they're giving them the program and the conditions. Cause even when the little androids are like, well, we have a question about what you're telling us, go look for this. We're, you know, it's not a definitive one plus one equals two. There's some variances in there. They kind of talk about that, but they say, you're going to go give them a pin and you're going to introduce them to Tomorrowland, but only the people who get the pin get into Tomorrowland and even know about Tomorrowland. So Brad, I will rebuttal your rebuttal. In your scenario, NASA is a government-funded, publicly seen company where they will publish the criteria and say, anybody can be an astronaut. This is what you got to do. Yeah. Tomorrowland is nobody knows about Tomorrowland unless we tell you about Tomorrowland. And the only way you're going to find out about Tomorrowland is if we think you're good enough for Tomorrowland. Okay, so what if we talk about the Illuminati? <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing, though. Okay, Even I'm, the Illuminati would go around and go, well, you don't know about the Illuminati, but we like you. We think you're quirky enough. We're going to tell you, we're going to, hey, come come into the club, right? So I, I would agree with you. If Tomorrowland, at the end of the story, was this thing where everybody got to see it and everybody could achieve that goal, if they just applied themselves, man, what a, what a powerful message. It's not. It's a we're going to go find the ones we want. We're going to give them the pin. They're going to wake up in some field and see Tomorrowland. The rest of the world won't know about it. What if they just got a pin when they were ready? We don't know how Who determines who's ready. Again, it's a selection criteria. I I, I understand that, but (laughs) so is getting into college. So Hey, look, at least I, when I apply for a university, I apply for anything in the world. I know what the conditions are and I can assess myself and go, do I want to do it? Uh, do I meet those conditions? Pick something, pick anything in the world. And you go, well, Troy, you're, you're this weight, this height, whatever. Can't fly a fighter plane. Cool. But I know what the criteria is right to do it. Um, it's, it's all publicized. Tomorrowland is this fascist little community that (laughs) says you don't get in unless you're blonde hair, blue eyed, and you got a pin. 
I mean, there for a while. Well, it, pre- previously fascist. Pre- yeah, sorry, now, previously now fa- not neo-fascist. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it was super white at the beginning. I was a little bit uncomfortable. It was, it was like, oh, man, yeah. All these people are super white. Then at the end, they're like, no, we're, we're letting other people in too. So, but but uh, yeah. do, you, do you guys? Uh, so, no, I see where you're coming from. But yeah. I, I think I think with me, when I looked at the message of inspiration at the end, my thought was, hey, that gate is open. You're going out to the world. You're going to inspire people. This gate's going to be open, and people are going to be able to come see what the only, best of the only best the of. selected people. That was too. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I get it. I get where you're coming from, and, and you can interpret it that way. And it's probably not wrong. Um, but th- th- this is my point, and and I only say this. I I bring all of this up because again, I don't think the movie's saying this. I highlight it as an example that when you're so concerned with your messaging and you have um, a story that isn't strong enough to bring that messaging together, you risk this possibility of people coming in and saying, I don't get that optimism at all. I see elements of it, but I have a problem with ultimately the plot and the story arc and what it's trying to say. And to me, this is a great example of a movie that didn't concentrate on telling a good story, it concentrated on the message. But the message was so convoluted, and then you don't have a good story, and that's not helping it. I mean, if you think about it, the first 30 minutes is a Tomorrowland commercial, the 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 first version of Tomorrowland. Casey gets a pin, and this is kind of where the story starts, um, mm-hmm. right, from a narrative standpoint. She's on the run and goes to a toy store action scene, um, she's on the run and meets Frank action scene, Casey and Frank go to Tomorrowland action scene. And then Casey and Frank arrive in the, the new Tomorrowland. And here you get what feels like an hour of sermonizing from a bad guy about how terrible the human race is and we're all going to die. And then Casey and Frank destroy the machine, mediocre action scene. And then Casey and Frank send robots out to recruit dreamers, more sermonizing. So there's, there's 45 minutes of a two hour film. Um, there's 45 minutes of movie in there. I disagree with that, but yeah, that, that, that's fine. Was I wrong? Did I, did I dream up the fact that they kind of started talking about like multi dimensions and things like that? Was that in here? Cause I thought they were talking about like, Oh, in this scenario, you know, the world ends cause we're looking in on, on this dimension or so I thought maybe that was it's a theory. Too. It's a probability theory. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I, when I looked at it, I was like, yes, that cup is half full. I will take, I will take it as this is going to inspire me. You weren't, you didn't feel any sort of like, oh yeah. Like I felt confused I, like because mm-hmm. this is one of those where I, I'm watching a film. I know there's some messaging. I got the messaging. I got the sermon twice, well, three yeah. times, I mean, whatever. I get it. Brad Bird is basically behind a pulpit here. It it is. But when you take a step back and go, okay, I understand the message maybe. And then when I look at the story and I go, well, the story is as much of a message as the message. A story can be a message. And when you look at the story and you go, that that's weird. Like I should be optimistic, but you, there's a possibility I won't get a chance to even use that optimism because I'm not selected but in, in the world, I can go look at what I want to do, find out what the criteria conditions are and strive for that. But here I can't, 
I have to meet some preconceived um, notion or conditions that I don't even know about. And then I get to go to Tomorrowland. I, I thought to me, that was my takeaway is like, I think I know what the message is, but at the same time, I can also see this other view. And I felt a little crazy. I'm like, does anybody else see this view too? Nope. Other people are seeing the view too. And my, my biggest criticism of this is between messaging and storytelling, they didn't get it right in either group. And so you're taking a risk on somebody looking at it the way you want to. I don't think it's voice is very well defined or determined. Something, something about, I don't know, if, and I think this is probably because at the time I was seeing like every movie. I, mm-hmm. I saw like every movie released in like 2015, 2016. And I think it's interesting for me that when I was watching this movie, I appreciate the fact that at least it had good intentions compared to a lot of other movies that were of the similar ilk that had nothing behind them. They were, it was literally just surface level. There was nothing to read behind it. It didn't feel like it had any sort of morality or anything further to say. And I think as well, that's why maybe I'm enjoying it more nowadays, is the fact that, sure, like, it is very heavy-handed. It's so heavy-handed. But I kind of don't mind that anymore. I would rather have someone try and do something that, maybe doesn't hit perfectly sure it's got problems and i think you're right if it ended with you know the whole of tomorrowland being opened up to the worlds and have that availability you know all the resources of tomorrowland are the world's resources i think that's a perfect ending i think that would yeah like 10 out of 10 then but we didn't get that but at least we got something which had the optimism to try and display some of those ideas a lot more than some other films that I'm trying to remember a film off the top of my head, but 2015 feels like a long time ago now. Suddenly, Well, just think about like something that came out that year in that summer, that month, Mad, Mad, Max. Max, Fury, Mad Max Fury Road is literally there and back again. I think there's a little bit more depth to that one than you're giving it credit for. Oh yeah. No, I'm, I won't argue about Mad Max. Please. I do too. I do yeah. too. But it's a, it's a story about we're going to a destination or turning around and going back home. But, oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. No, please. No, reverse this. <laughs> no. Here's an example of a great story with a, I think, powerful message that you can you can take Mad Max and look at it from the standpoint of saying, oh, my God, that was a thrill ride. It is mm-hmm. going from point A to point B and then from point B back to point A. Mm-hmm. But when you take a step back and go, why are they going to point A? Who is chasing them? What's being said about that? And then the decision to go from point B back to point A. That's an example, in my opinion. There's some very good messaging going on in there. But the messaging is organic with the story that he's telling. Um, you know, Between Furiosa and Mad Max, um, and Morton Joe, all of that stuff. I mean, you've got some dynamic characters talking about society, women, all of that stuff, Patriot, all of it. It's all there as an extremely good message wrapped up in a tight, concise, really good story. Prime example of you going to the movies in that same month and seeing Tomorrowland and Mad Max and walking away and saying, I can take this film, Mad Max, and enjoy it on one level plus dissect it. And there's all this messaging and it works. I can go to Tomorrowland and go, I don't think the story works. And I think I know what the messaging is, 
Um, but it's, it's really convoluted. So I would say, and I agree with you, Sean, like I love movies that have, you know, invasion, invasion of the body snatchers, the classic, I mean, McCarthyism, it's fantastic. I love looking at that film on so many different levels and it can be done. Tomorrowland is an example of where the heavy handedness gets in the way of, um, telling a good narrative. No, and I'm not going to argue that. Like, I, I definitely think it's so heavy handed that it does kind of sniff its own farts there for a little bit. Yeah. And it, it doesn't necessarily work that well, but kind of as Sean was saying, the fact that it, it kind of is counter programming to all the stuff that we've seen, like the dark Knight was such a revelation, but films took this like dark and gritty turn. And now we have this big uh, budget film that is built on, Hey, let's try to inspire people. And I think that just, it spoke to me in a way that I wasn't expecting. And yes, you can pick apart the ending and I don't think you're wrong. Um, but for me, it's like, I'm going to do the mental math that it needs to take to, to get it to the point where I think, no, uh, I'm going to look at it this way. I don't know if the filmmaker intended it to be that way or, or what they intended, but my interpretation of this piece of art is that it, it works this way. And that's totally fine. No, no, I, um, I think it's great. I mean, I, we can talk about biker boys and you can make fun of me all the, all day yeah, long I, about dude, that movie got to me just because yeah. of that father son relationship. And everybody's like, dude, you're crazy. And I can go, Brad, Tomorrowland, really? You watched it twice, but that's because we're both, you know, it's, you're taking your experiences, your denominator. Every time you watch a movie, you're, you're not watching it from the filmmaker's perspective. You're watching it through your perspective. You're bringing all your experiences to it more so than even what their intention is. So I get it a hundred percent. And I, I agree with you too, Sean, like it's nice and refreshing when something this I'll say attempted at optimism comes along. And I really appreciate that. But for me, it's like, oops, swing and a miss. You know, I think you actually brought up something, and I just want to mention it, which is the whole idea, like death of the author. Um, <laughs> just <laughs> okay, the yeah. fact that, yeah, like the, the the whole idea of like, yeah, like we are just gonna, you know, you can take what you you're always gonna take your own personal experience from it as well. Like you're never coming in as a blank slate of a person when you come into these things, and I think as well, yeah, like depending on how you are. Um, coming into a film, especially like a film where it is trying to push like a optimistic message in in whatever way it does. Yeah, I think you can come into it and maybe view it in different ways depending on how you are viewing that message yourself and the world itself as well. You know, someone would certainly come in, you know, if someone's like, I don't believe in global warming comes into this. <laughs> they're not going to like this like, movie. <laughs> what is this film? What are you yeah. on about? No, that's a good point. Um, and, and, and again, I, I, I would look at this and kind of go, I, I appreciate what it's trying to do. I just, I don't think it did it very well. Um, but, th- but that's my take on it only because I get tripped up on the story elements more so than the messaging component. And does and, that, does that hinder like you liking this movie at all? Like, no, no, there, there are things I like about it. Um, like the Clooney Robertson and uh, Cassidy, I think that those three have a fun chemistry together. Mm-hmm. The, so that segment I'm talking about where Casey gets the pin all the way up to when they go to Tomorrowland, I really like that section of the film. Yeah. I think it's fantastic actually. 
Um, I think it's the best uh, stuff Brad Bird's done, as a matter of fact. When you look at that. Like that Eiffel Tower sequence is really, really cool. Like, yeah, that, cool... that whole sequence, when you kind of get with her getting the pin, going to the toy store, all the way to the Eiffel Tower, it felt like a Brad Bird adventure. And I really had a lot of fun with it. And I really like this subplot of George Clooney having these feelings as a kid about this uh, automated girl. And there's this beat at the end where, spoiler alert, I mean, he has to drop her. And I, I, I'm i like, oh, I kind of felt that a little bit. Like, that that was an interesting story element. Well, again, George Clooney's way overqualified for this it, role. It is. It's unbelievable. But I would still say that story element in and of itself, like his inability to deal with his, kid, uh, his feelings as a kid and it carrying over, that's a great story that didn't get any attention. Like, it was, it was a fantastic subplot that didn't get enough attention, in my opinion. But I, I think, you know, again, I think there's 45 minutes of really solid film in here that I have a lot of fun with. And heck, if I were to revisit it, I'd be like, let's start at this chapter where she gets the pin and let's stop watching when they go to Tomorrowland and just say everybody lives happily ever after. And I'd be OK with that. Yeah, I do agree with you. I think the third act is a little clunky. Yeah. Um, it, it wraps up really conveniently pretty quickly. And I don't necessarily know what their plan was like. Yes, blow up the negative thing because it's feeding us negative things. But again, like, I, I don't think at that point in time it really mattered to me because I was invested in the inspirational side of it all. Again, like, that's why we like sports movies and that's why we like I will, Rocky Balboa. I will tell you what this movie reminds me of. You're going to make fun of me. And I, that's oh, fine. Boy. That's what we're here for. Yep. <laughs> so I structure wise this story or this movie specifically reminds me of a gi joe cartoon from the 80s so you basically get you know yo joe and they're fighting cobra and there's blue red lasers and stuff blows up and da 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 and as soon as it's over here comes you know roadblock or whatever going hey don't burn your pork chops or whatever it is like <laughs> here's your don't talk to strangers stay away from the electrical line don't, whatever it don't is see, yeah, don't stick that fork in the electrical outlet yeah, yeah. and it's like kids knowing's half the battle and then you're like okay thank you for my lesson at the end of the thing but it, it happened at the end and i got all this cool action tomorrowland reminds me of that because you're like oh well eh, kind of a slow start boom 45 minutes and then cool last third act is knowing is half the battle thank you and it's to me, Tomorrowland is it, it's a half baked G.I. Joe cartoon from the 80s. I'll be honest, G.I. Joe from the 80s never registered for me. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I love I G.I. Joe from the 80s. I don't know if you know this love or not, it. but us Americans, we love our military and we love our guns. And so we. It was the most food. progressive military in the entire yeah. world. Everybody yes. got to join it. We had Native Aww. Americans, we had ninjas, we had uh, sailors, mm -hmm. and and the most progressive dress code you could ever think of. Everybody <laughs> got along. Um, you only had like a couple people in charge, and everybody else was like same. It, it it was awesome, right? But you know, again, it's it's a you know wham bang action, and here's your lesson. Thanks, George Clooney. Oh, that sounds like a selective group where there's not a set criteria. <laughs> well, a GI Joe. <laughs> yeah, what was the criteria to be a yeah, GI well, Joe? Yeah, come on. They posted like, it, and you could join. Cobra was the bad guy. They they had their secret select criteria. So it's kind of like the Foot Clan. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah anyway. Again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, boy. I know. I didn't. Is this what it feels like, Troy? 
Is this what it feels like? <laughs> <laughs> is what, what it feels like? To like really love something and have someone just take an absolute dump on it. Hey, you took a dump all over my biker boys. Yeah. I, nah. okay. <laughs> see, yeah, I but see. Look, I see it in your face. <laughs> I, but look, we got that optimism still. Regardless, regardless of how much we've been shit on, we've got we're optimistic. <laughs> we we'll keep battling on. Um, I did, you know what you did mention about like the kind of the slow start, and I don't mind that, but I think that might be the sort of Disney nerd in me. The fact that they they reference like all the old Epcot stuff, uh, the World Trade Fair, and mm. the going on. It's a small world. And all that stuff. I, the, I rocketeer, that. the Rocketeer. The Rocketeer. All that stuff. I kind of, I'm obsessed with all that. That that really like ticked all the boxes for well, me. Well, even the gum that she has when she's getting out of jail, it's the same gum that um, Cliff had in the Rocketeer that he yeah. puts on the jet. So I agree. There's, there's all these little callbacks. I mean, I love the fact that they're in the toy store and they have an entire Iron Giant shelf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Black Hole, Brad. There was all the, I'm looking at, I'm like, mm-hmm. man, I want all that Black Hole stuff. Um, and I get it. I mean, th- this is this is a great example where when we talked about the black hole, I I loved it. For me, it was kind of like the introduction to horror films at a small age to a certain degree. And I have a soft spot for it. But I can also tell you it's just a disaster film in space. It has a wonky ending. Uh, but I have an affection for it because it's nostalgia. And I could totally see somebody coming across Tomorrowland and going, man, I really like that film. And, uh, you know, Brad made fun of me for liking the black hole and. And I can make fun of him for liking Tomorrowland. Sean and I will beat you up. So whatever. <laughs> this is true. But I, I, I'm not sitting here saying it's absolutely the most terrible thing ever. My biggest complaint, the thing I can't get over is that that story messaging. I don't know. You said fascist twice this episode. It is kind of fascist. Think, though. It's a little I, fascist. I was going to say it's definitely more than twice. Yeah. yeah. It, I, guys, I, I'm sorry. It, it is pretty fascist. I'm mm. Sorry about that. All right, Troy, let's do the question. Okay. Well, I'm going to start with Sean. We just, we just got done talking about uh, Tomorrowland from 2015, and I didn't mean to just, you know, take the energy out of the room with, with my, my thought process, but I'm, I'm going to kick it over to you, Sean. Uh, is Tomorrowland a bomb? I mean, box office-wise, yeah. <laughs> there's, no, there's no denying that that is 100 a bomb um you don't lose a hundred and something odd million and not be a bomb however i don't think it's a bomb in terms of quality i think it's one that i think in years to come i think people will revisit it and maybe find some joy from it okay awesome all right brad how about you tomorrow Land, yeah. is it a bomb definitely not a bomb for me either um i'm still trying to figure out why it's not on disney plus like well because disney doesn't support fascism um, I they? put it on my Disney Plus. Well, yeah, but you also had like Hellraiser on your Disney Plus. Yeah, you got like John Woo films on your Disney yeah. Plus. Yeah, I've got all sorts. Yeah. <laughs> you got the cool Disney Plus. We got yeah. the. We barely have Deadpool, so yeah. Okay, I, I'm I'm gonna say it's a bomb. Yeah. Uh, sorry, guys. It's it's not a good film. It's it's got a good film somewhere in there, but uh, yeah, I. I uh, I wish I liked it more. I wish that optimistic message rung a little true for me. Um, but I'll say I'll say this time and time again: there's n- no better person that probably today directs action better than Brad Bird. It's just I think Brad Bird needs to direct and not write. Um, I would like to see him adapt more things that are more action oriented or adventure oriented, and uh, maybe put the the messaging 
uh, on the back burner for a little bit and, and concentrate on telling like a, a fun story and layer in the messaging. I, I think this organically doesn't work together and it's, uh, it's, it's a chore to get to that 45 minutes. And then after the 45 minutes, it, it does become a GI Joe cartoon. So, which is not bad. I, yeah. I mean, I love GI Joe, but GI Joe cartoons are 30 minutes. This was two hours. So. <laughs> two hours, Same. 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was rough. Uh, Sean, I, I actually want to just ask you real quick. So with avatar coming out in December and you guys are talking about, you know, things like James Cameron, et cetera, and just sort of the avatar world, what, what kind of episodes are you putting together before the, the new film comes out? Like give, give viewers a taste or viewers, give listeners a taste of uh, um, what they can expect if they come check you out. So it can range from all sorts. Most recently I had someone come on who talked to me about how the hype from 2009 compares to this year, like the build up for it. Uh, the person I had come on actually was the person who did the cam rip of the trailer. Uh, leak, so they leaked the trailer for Avatar back in 2009. Alleg- allegedly uh, or like? No, no, I've seen it. I've seen the copy that they, <laughs> they took oh. um, in the cinema. So they recorded it. They brought in a camcorder and everything. Um, Is the statute of limitations done on that? Is he not going to get in trouble? Oh, uh, no, we're good. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't have it. I don't have anything identifying. <laughs> okay. Details of them. Um, yeah, it was such an interesting experience, and I talked to all sorts of other people who bring different analysis to the world of Avatar, whether that's to do with uh, how Avatar looks at environmentalism, the inspirations of Avatar from Pocahontas, dozens of wolves. I'm sure we're going to cover all of them in the future. Uh, but yeah, Fern it's Gully. kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, Fern Gully, classic yeah. one. Um, but there's so much to cover. Like, who knew there was so much to talk about about one film and one director? So. Is yeah, there, come join in. Are there comics and sort of books around that universe that kind of expand the characters or um, Pandora in general? I mean, outside of the film, I, I'm not familiar enough with Avatar outside of the movie itself. I didn't know if there was like this whole extended literature universe. Yeah, there's actually there's been a comic series which has come out in the recent months. Uh, there is also another I think set coming out. Uh, which is a direct prequel to Avatar, The Way of Water. It was actually James Cameron's original script for Avatar 2, uh, but it was made into a prequel, and it's looking pretty cool. It's, I think it's called The High Ground. Um, it looks like we've got Na'vi in space, so that's kind of oh. cool. And so you, you guys are going to talk about those too, right? Uh, yeah, eventually I'm going to get around to it. I need to see when it actually arrives in the UK. But also, like, it's one of those weird things where I think the last issue arrives just as the film releases. So I'm like, how many spoilers is it going to kind of like bring up suddenly? Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, Brad. Yes, sir. Let's let's talk about um, some listener feedback. So we did get something and I, it, it's a little bit of a promotion, too, which will lead into you talking about some other podcasts that we work with. Okay. But Zoe wrote in um, from the Backlook podcast, and he has a new episode out um, specifically on the film that he wrote in about. So he says, I'm working on my next show, and I noticed that Equilibrium, starring Christian Bale, tanked hard at the box office. It looks like it should have been a career-ending failure for Kurt Vimmer, the director, <gasps> but it seems that he's able to find financing to make movies that apparently suck. I think you have that view of that as well, right, Brad? Yeah. Okay. Ultraviolet is the worst movie I've ever seen. I, God damn it, so. In the meantime, he makes his living writing movies. Anyway, if no one has already suggested already, I think that Equilibrium needs your attention. I mean, I really liked it, but maybe that's an unpopular opinion. 
So equilibrium's on our list, Zoe, but since you talked about it this week and the episode's out there, we're going to have to put it in a moratorium so that um, we put all the focus on your podcast. But I'm, I'm going to be full disclosure here. I love Equilibrium. I think it's one of Christian Bale's actually best performance he's ever done in that film. Sean, I would have you seen it? Do you do you? I haven't seen it. Okay, it's Sean. One of those ones where I need to see it because have it to. looks really cool. It's really good. I mean, it's also, an interesting. Is it just the Matrix? It no, kind of looks like the, the Matrix. It's nineteen. It, think of it as Orwellian, nineteen eighty four. It's more that for dummies. Uh, uh, oh, no, it's it's Baby's First, nineteen eighty four is what it is. <laughs> it's more than that. Brad, shut up. <laughs> go back to your Tomorrowland. Okay. Um, okay, but listen seriously, folks. Go listen to the Backlook podcast. They're talking about Equilibrium. This week, Brad, uh, who else should people listen to? Yeah, the, we've got Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, Watch Skip Plus, which I will be on. It's probably, it's not this episode. The episode after that, we are going to be reviewing. Uh, I'll, I'll save it, but look for okay. me on that show. Um, the VHS Files, Night of Living Podcast. You said the Backlook Cinema, the Mixtape Podcast, and the Iron Sequel. Awesome. All shows you should check out. What are we doing next month? We we actually are doing a themed month. Yeah, this is so, sort of our in between Spooktober. Yeah, and November, this is right? like yeah. the it's like the Dutch door. It separates us from the porn. Yep. Um, <laughs> your analogies today. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so we came. Someone had had mentioned that we should do prestige films that failed at the box office, and so essentially the criteria is basically they had to win multiple like Academy Awards or a, or an Academy Award. Oh yeah. Well, all these happen to win yes. more than one Academy Award and they are nominated for a bunch. So we have, here we go. Yep. We have Hugo, which was nominated for 11 Academy Awards and won five. <laughs> yeah. And it bombed. Yeah. It bombed big time. They were going to do the eyes of Tammy Faye, which was nominated for two Academy Awards and won two. So it was two for two. And they were doing a film called The Wizard of Oz, which uh, it was a was huge not, bomb. <laughs> yeah, which uh, has five nominations, two wins, one honorary win. And then we are doing The Shawshank Redemption, seven nominations, two wins, also another big bomb. Yeah, so, this will be interesting. So, and I got two of those you. films are some people would uh, consider the greatest films of all time. So we have our work cut out for us. I agree. It, it was interesting when we decided to do this theme, you, you don't know how hard it was to go back and say, find something that was an Academy Award winning film that bombed at the box office and then even up the ante a little bit to say, how about multiple awards? Mm -hmm. And the list is really small. I think this will be the one and only time we do this because we couldn't come up with another four movies. Because every time we thought we had one, we're like, nah, it squeaked out a pretty good profit internationally or something of that nature. So yeah. It'll be interesting. Sean, you have to come back. I, I know we're on different time zones and you're it's like four in the morning over there or something. I, I don't know how that works. Uh, it's not four in the morning over here, but no. you you were so awesome. So please look at our list of upcoming movies, pick something out and get your butt back here because I also want to hear your thoughts on Avatar. Oh, yeah. And there's an open invite if you both want to come on, talk about anything Avatar, James Cameron. We've got like whole lists of things to chat about i'm sure we can find something real interesting to talk about as well I, I need to go find those comics i'm a i'm a big comic book nerd so now that i know there's avatar comics out there i'm gonna go look for those that's awesome mm. i'm excited i find it awfully <laughs> weird that we're we've like come around where people are like 
turn on Avatar. It's like it's one of the biggest movies of all time, and no one will admit to have seen it. So I don't know. It's weird to me. I have like two or three different copies of it. For some reason, they kept releasing all these new Blu-ray editions when James Cameron's like, well, I got this other five minutes. and They like, delayed the 4K, so... He needs to he needs to get on it and true get lies. that abyss so many 4Ks. True lies out there, man. Yeah. I'm on DVD for the abyss still and it's killing me. I need I need something shinier. <laughs> I, I I bought a bootleg of uh I guess the abyss showed on some HD channel and somebody ripped it on a Blu-ray and it looks great. So uh I just I need the official 4K version and true lies. I mean, come on. True lies is like mm. one of Schwarzenegger's best films ever. Come on, James Cameron. I almost bought this software that's AI that like upreses uh, films. Oh, yeah, you should do that. Start a little, mm. start a little underground market there. Yep, yeah. yep. Uh, Alleged, allegedly, 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 by business. <laughs> uh, folks, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thank you for downloading this episode. Go check out Sean's podcast. Get ready for Avatar. It's a big event coming at the end of the year. And uh, please come back next week when we kind of get all fancy, put our monocles on, and we start talking about some prestige movies and use our, our fancy voices and accents. So we're going to kick it off with Hugo. Come back here and have a good week. We'll lose your head. Bye.